Welcome to that Good Good Experience Podcast. Where related minds talk about related topics. And we all just happen to be related. Buckle up, this is going to be a good one. We've got that good good experience podcast. And here we go once again for another exciting edition of We've Got That Good Good Experience podcast, a show where related minds talk about related topics, and we just all happen to be related. As always, I am Marcus Moses, and this train does not leave without my cousin co-host. They, they come with me everywhere I go. Kimmy, what's going on, baby? Marcus, darling, how are we doing today? We are doing just fine. We are doing just fine, and I cannot not mention my other co-host, you know what I'm saying? When I move, he moves. Just like that, Mr. Byron B. Note Brown. What's going on, buddy? <clears throat> hey, Marcus. What's up? Hey, Kimmy. How is everybody doing? Welcome, fam. Welcome, listeners. Let's get this party started. Hey, and B. Note with a big shout out to DJ Scratch. Let me clear my throat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we love the off guards. Hey, welcome back to another exciting episode of this wonderful podcast called We've Got the Good, Good Experience Podcast. To this week's episode, we're going to pay homage to what we call Blue-Eyed Soul. And you may ask, hey, Marcus, what is Blue-Eyed Soul? Well, there are artists who like to record R&B and soul music who just so happen to be of the Caucasian persuasion. So, can I say that, Byron? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see why not. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we want to pay homage to Blue-Eyed Soul on, on this particular episode. Uh, we've got the Good Good Experience podcast, but as always, before we get into it, ladies and gentlemen, we got to talk about what's good good in the world of music, movies, and more. Hey, Byron, start off. What's good good on your end, buddy? Well, Marcus, I'll tell you what's good good. Representative Hakeem Jeffries is what's good good. He was chosen to lead the House Democrats next year, making the New Yorker the first Black person to lead a major political party in Congress and marking that generational shift as Nancy Pelosi stepped down, ending her two-decade reign as both speaker and minority leader. Jeffries, who's 52 years old, will also be the youngest in leadership when Congress begins in January. Just so you know, he was first elected to Congress in 2012 and represents parts of Brooklyn and Queens. That's what's good good on my end. Kimmy, what's good good with you? I'll tell you what's good good. LL Cool J is hot as hell. <laughs> LL Cool J's Rock the Bells is curating a hip-hop cruise in 2023. Four months after co-heading the Throwback Music Festival in Queens, it's been announced that LL's platform will curate the Rock the Bells, a hip-hop experience cruise in partnership with media company Six Man. To honor and celebrate hip-hop's 50th anniversary, the cruise will set sail from Miami to the Bahamas on November 13th to November 17th, 2023. And that is what's good, good on my end. And what's good, good on my end is that we're back with another exciting episode of We've Got That Good, Good Experience podcast. Again, this is what we call our Blue-Eyed Soul episode, and we're so excited to be a part of it. And to to really discuss, you know, some of our great, some of the great blue eyed, to say the least, artists who had their contribution to R and B, and I can't think of nothing else to do but to get it started. What do you think, guys? Let's go. Let's go. Where we started at first, Kim? Hall and Oaks, one on one. Oh yeah.
Yes, that was the great duo Hall and Notes with 101 from their 11th album, 1983 release, H2O. This song peaked at number seven on the Hot 100 charts. It was one of three top 10 songs from that album that year, Family Man, and the other one being Man Eater, which is actually my favorite song. I don't know why I didn't put that one as my favorite song, but however, 101 is a nice love ballad. Daryl Hall's vocals are all over and they really captivate this particular song in particular. I also want to make mention of another version featuring Daryl Hall and what's the guy's name? CeeLo Green. Oh! Yeah, yeah. They, they <laughs> do this version. Uh, I think it's a, a series called Daryl's House where he invites different artists to come in and they kind of like have like a jam out session, you know, in his basement and whatnot. And CeeLo Green and Daryl Hall cover this track and it sounds real good. So go on YouTube and check that out as well. What say you guys? I'm glad you picked this one because to me, One on One is much more soulful than Man yes. Eater. Man Eater is more poppy. Yeah. It had a soulful edge to it as well, but yeah, it was more of a pop groove. It was very popular. I just remember constantly being in the countdown on Solid Gold. Damn solid gold. Like like, number one for several weeks or whatever, but um, Hall and Notes all all together, their whole catalog to me is more of a soulful edge. I mean, they came out from the start with that Philadelphia soulful sound. As they got popular, they injected some of the more popular sounds, some of the Pirate Eyes, Kiss on My List, you know, those songs like that, which I, I love as well, but. They, they keep it, but John Oates and Daryl Hall. John Oates, to me, his artistry by himself, he solidifies like the whole Yacht Rock sound, which is a streamline between like the soft, soft rock and soulful sound that we get. So yeah, Hall and Oates can do no wrong for me as a far as I'm concerned, and this was a perfect example to choose for them. <laughs> now, yeah. a quick question. With Hall and Oates, what did Oates do? Just play the guitar? Uh, thank gonna, you very much, Timmy. No, I was going to ask that. No, that's not all he does. Oates is also... Was he producing? He sings. He's the producer, one of the producers, and one of the writers. They, he, okay. And he has actually has a project out right now. He's been releasing projects over the past few years. Over the years, they both done their own solo stuff. But because Daryl Hall sings lead on all the songs, of course, he's going to be like stand out and everywhere. It's going to migrate towards him. But John Oates, he shouldn't be stuffed on either. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Take, there you go. Stand by your man there, Byron. <laughs> <laughs> I always love their artistry, though, because yes. John Oates always brought like that, the comical. It seemed like very energetic and com- comical when it came to their performances, especially in the music. But that's the thing. Oates' face is just so, his mustache was like the, the most yes. prominent mm-hmm. thing about him. So yes. if Stay Hall was out there singing, you'd be like, where's Oates in his mustache? So they have to right. be together. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> and and, and I, I, don't, I can only think about that movie with uh, Seth MacFarlane. What's the name? Uh, Many Ways to Die in the West and the, and the Mustache song. Every, every time I hear that, I think about John Oates. Oh, <laughs> y'all never heard that one? <laughs> no. 
you got, you, yeah, one. go on YouTube. Y'all got two projects already. Y'all gave me some homework. I'm giving y'all homework. Okay, you got it. You got to watch Daryl Hall and CeeLo's episode where they cover this song, and you got to watch the mustache song. That's all you got to type in when you go to YouTube. <laughs> the mustache song. It's gonna come up. You just listen to it. It is hilarious, and it reminds me of John Oates. John Oates. And God, what is his name with the big mustache? And he always had the Hawaiian shirt. Oh, Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. I oh. couldn't think of his name. Anyway. <laughs> I forgot what they call that particular style of mustache. It has a name, though. He and it's like Tom really Selleck. bushy. Yeah, yeah, he and Tom Selleck had the same, I guess, same type of mustache, which was yeah. kind mm-hmm. of popular around that time anyway. But they were the, the standouts, I guess, the Rockets. Yeah. You know, we're the only podcast in, in, in all the internet that can go from music to mustaches and, and make it sound. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it, it just flowed perfectly yeah, because <laughs> we know how to do it. We know how to do this thing. <laughs> but, but anyway, but what's next, Kim? One of my favorite bands, Daily Dan mm. and Paige. who are considered rock and they were first released on the band's 1977 album Aja, which I have and the track was, was released as a single in 1977 and reached number 11 on the U.S. Billboard chart in 1978. Now whose voice do you hear clearly singing back up in this song? Michael McDonald! Yes you do! There he is. Our guy. Absolutely. And that's Really, Michael McDonald at the time was, was in the Doobie Brothers. Yes. But yes. his voice is just so distinct. And he is another blue-eyed soul singer that we just love. What's I, I, I think it's safe. I think it's safe to say that Michael McDonald will be mentioned at some point during this podcast. You never know. But anyway, <laughs> you just stay tuned. You got King on nowhere. But anyways, I had never heard of Silly Dan until we started doing this. I think we mentioned Silly Dan on another episode. I'm not sure which one it was. It might have been uh what was the third one? Was it Grunge? No, it wouldn't no. be grunge. Was it, was it, uh, it would not be grunge. No, then nowhere. But um, no. what was it? It's probably one of the years, probably the nineteen eighty something years. I think that's when it, yeah. I um probably had. Yeah. Yeah, I, up until that point, I never heard of Steely Dan, but like, you know, I do my homework, and this is one of the ones. One, I, I'm sorry. I think it was one of our favorites. Like, it wasn't linked to a year. I think when we shared some of our favorite songs. Uh huh. Go ahead, Marcus. Sorry to interrupt you. Okay. So okay. you have homework then, Marcus, yes. to get the best of Steely Dan, and you'll be surprised some of the songs that you know that they actually sung, or samples that you hear from their music. Because okay. even from this song here, that's mm. I think it was either Black Gail Cow. I Saw or Try. Black Cow. Oh, 
Deacon Blues. Deacon Blues. Yeah. What was your thought, Marcus, though? You were about to say something before I interrupt you. I'm sorry. It was real funky, man. It was a real funky song. It's it's got a lot of soul. It's got a lot of instruments. And now, yeah, Silly Dan, you can't go wrong with Silly Dan. They really set their mark in the R&B culture. There are a couple of tracks that I do like. This is one of them. So it was real, like I said, it was real funky, real real soulful. Can't go wrong with Silly Dan. Just so you know, Silly Dan is Myron's favorite group. Oh, really? Tell him that we had... Tell him that we had a good discussion about it. Let him know and tell him that I have the best of and have Aja and I love me some Deacon Blues and Bodhisattva and, <laughs> and um, Babylon Sister. That was my song. Oh, yeah. We could go all day with Steely Dan, actually. I know. Babylon Sister, you would really like that, Marcus. Say what now? Babylon Sister, you would really like that. Really? Definitely. Just get the best of Steely Dan. I and think just you'll press, love it. Press play, right? Yes, yeah. just press play. Yeah. What's next, Cam? Well, since we were talking about it, let's talk about some Michael McDonald. Let's oh, listen so to our Keep Forgetting yeah, every time yeah. you need it. This is to me, this is a song that started it all for him, even though he had been in the business all for several years with the Doobie Brothers. But this this song here uh, got him on the stage as a solo artist. I keep forgetting every time you're near, also known as just simply I keep forgetting. It's a song released from the 1982 album, If That's What It Takes. That's Michael McDonald's debut album as a solo artist. And this song right here set the stage performing extremely well. Top four hit on the Hot 100 Billboard, Hot 100, and number seven on a Billboard R&B chart. It also fared well in the UK as well as other markets around the world. It was number eight on the adult contemporary charts here in the United States. A staple. I mean, when I hear, when I think of the 80s, when I think of just 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 solid gut music. Michael McDonald's, I keep forgetting, is at the top of the list. Just to show you how bad the song was, man, it spawned uh, another hip-hop hit regulated by Nate Dogg and Warren G, which had huge success. It had huge success on the hip-hop level itself. You know, I mean, just going back, we, we prepared our list for this, right? I didn't I didn't think about, when I, I think, you remember I made mention about Tina Marie? I, I forgot she was white, wasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I don't see Michael McDonald as 
as blue eyes so quote unquote to say the least you know i just i just consider him so his his voice just is so, so like like mm -hmm. all the rest of them i mean i just don't consider him blue eyes so but but i mean he's just this particular song right here is just like a staple in the r&b community if you ask me you know michael mcdonald i mean he i, I just love his voice man he's just one of the great ones that's one of the most recognizable voices ever. Yeah. And I just saw a tribute to Patti Bell and Tyrese mm -hmm. and someone else was singing um, On Your Own to Patti oh Bell. Oh my yes. God. Yes. And I'm sorry, Tyrese didn't touch Michael. Didn't oh, no. touch him. Nobody yeah. ain't touching Michael. Michael Nobody. McDonald is an in-demand voice. I mean, he's a session singer as well as a solo artist, a band leader. He's done it all. I mean, there's a lot of songs from the late 70s on through the 80s. You would be surprised that he's singing back up on. A lot of songs. A lot of, a lot of songs Michael McDonald's singing back up on. R&B. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Artists like him come like once in a lifetime. And he he's just one of those artists. I mean, you know, big salute to Michael McDonald. And I, I, I love this track right here. One of my favorite. It's probably one of my favorite tracks, period, by any artist. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, we got to keep it moving. What's next, Cam? Another artist that used to sing a lot of backup for many different artists and is kind of reminis not reminiscent of Michael McDonald, but he may be on that same playing field is Kenny Loggins and Love Will Follow. Yes, he can. And just like Michael McDonald, because they have worked together over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was trying it. to figure out this there was a song that they sang together. It. This, this, this is, is it, wasn't that, it? Okay. That's one of them. I mean, they've done a lot of songs. They've like written songs together and, you know, interchangeably would sing on each other's songs. And I don't think I don't think he makes an appearance on this one because this well, let me just back up and explain this this gem. This song, <laughs> Love Will Follow. To be found on Kenny Loggins' fifth studio album, Bop Humana, that was released in 1985. Certified Gold. It's one of those close climbing records, but this actual song was never released as an official single. It was kind of sent to the R&B station because you heard it on the during Quiet Storm and it was on heavy rotation there. However, it was never released as an official single, so it's not doesn't have any charting information for it. However, you can't do Quiet Storm without incorporating this. And he and Shanice, mm -hmm. we recorded this as a duet. Well, actually, it was during a, a live concert performance, but it was recorded and released on his uh, live album called Outside from the Redwoods. 
But um, actually, I like the. I mean, even though I love Shadise, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. Which one do you prefer? I, I, I prefer the original one with just with just Kenny. Yeah. Me too. Uh, me yeah. too. But I love Shanice. But Shanice did a good job. She mm-hmm. did a good job. But I just I just love Kenny Loggins' range on it. He is so good. But I peaked Kenny Loggins' skills on what movie that the, the intro to the movie is an old classic. Footloose. Footloose. But I wasn't talking about Footloose, though. Caddyshack. But he was Caddyshack. Yes. That <laughs> beginning music to Caddyshack is just I'm so no, five for five. Me, it got skinny. Just let it be. Who do you want? And that was so soulful. I peaked his skills back then. Can you like it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does, is it me? Did it sound a little bit kind of like a George Michael? Can you kind of hear like a George Michael element in his voice a little bit? No, because no, George Michael has his element. You don't put, you don't put the, <laughs> it's the other way around. You don't George Michael the word from Kenny, not yeah. the other way you around. You a little Kenny Loggins and George Michael. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Stand by your man there, Byron. <laughs> George, George Michael. We don't studied. ever put the cart before the horse, okay? Exactly. George Michael studied the Michael McDonald's and Kenny yeah. Loggins of the world. And that's how he was able to hone his skills. All right. I'm going to shit what they call the hiccup and just say, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> ah. All right. So the next one is another soulful, soulful, quiet storm type of song. The Average White Bang, A Love of Your Own. Mm. You know, but damn. <laughs> you know, I, I, I ain't gonna lie to you. You know, I, I might have been a teenager, uh, maybe 20, maybe when I found out, you know, these guys were quote unquote blue eyed soul. Me too. Uh, to say the least. That was Average White Band. I love your own from their 1976 album Soul Searching, the Sky's Front Group. Uh, this this particular hit, um, not, not, excuse me, number 35 on the R&B charts. And it's just, I mean, it's the song speaks for itself. I mean, just so soulful. Just, I mean, the vocals are, are on point. The the musicians, the musicianship and the, the instruments. You know, I love to hear the bass being played in this song. It's just an all around, just, I just love it. I'm, I'm, I'm just forgive me. I just get lost in these, these types of songs. They just, just take me to a, ho- I mean, a whole nother place. That, especially that song. That song is yeah. just one of them that just really will get you in the mood. I'm just it saying. Really, it really will. It really does. But I, it sounds like they really study the the blue magic, the the stylistics, yeah. the, the old 
Well, um, no, they were in the same vein around the same time those those bands were out. So they were hand in hand with those bands. They were they were putting out that music, that sound in live time when stylistics and all of them were active. I, mean, think I think about they it. really did study some of the old ones from back in the 60s and before, though, because I think that's why they even called themselves the, uh, average, the average white band, because mm-hmm. once you hear them, you're going to be like, wait, what? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, a lot of- remember, pick up the pieces, right? You all remember pick up the mm-hmm. pieces. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of that Martin episode where Pulse Man's playing the kazoos with it. <laughs> and I'm so y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, He's I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, but anyway, that's that's one of my favorites too. You know, you think about a lot of those European bands. That's what they studied. They studied soul music. I mean, mm-hmm. they you know, embraced us. They embraced us. They did. Right, they did. And I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that before y'all watched Cadillac Records, y'all didn't know that the Rolling Stones were named from one of Muddy Waters' songs. Mm-hmm. I know I mm-hmm. didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't. But they really studied our music. I mean, like, studied, they bring our people to them to play with them and jam with them and and take our songs most of the time. But some some of the European, I mean, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk about this person later, but I remember David Bowie back in the day was talking to MTV one time. There was this famous interview with him where he spoke out about the fact that they weren't playing much of our music on MTV when right. most of the people that they were playing were influenced by them. Right. So, exactly. so yeah. Well, I was to say speaking, of, speaking of studying, Silk Sonic definitely studied this band because oh, the, definitely. Sound, the sound that they, the sound that they yeah. have was heavily influenced. I'm sure they probably sat down and listened to all of those albums in addition to other artists. But yeah. Of course, Confunction. Yeah, Confunction, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. A-Body. What's the name of the song? very good job. What's the name of it? Love Train. Love Train. Love Train. They bodied Love Train. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, I had a friend of mine tell me the other day that they didn't realize that was Silk Sun singing that. They it's thought awesome. they was just, yeah, because it sounded exactly like Confunction. You know, so anyway, That's it goes without color. saying. That's a yeah. when someone makes it where you're like, oh, wow, this is not the original. Right. I love it when, don't get me wrong, I love it when artists make songs their own. Mm-hmm. However, I really respect it when they remake a song and it's in the vein of the original. Mary J. Bye, Gun Falling Down. It's mm. another good example, you know? Yeah. Um, when or Luther. Luther, most of his songs were, were remakes. Yeah. 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 But Luther Lutherized it. Luther yeah. took the song over. It was no longer anybody else's yeah, you, song. That was yeah, Luther's you, song. What you, you did back then, don't even matter. But when, when artists actually record the song and it's got, sounds like the same instrumentation and mm. arrangements or whatever that the original had, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, big shout out to the average white band. I think they're still touring. They're still doing the thing after 50 years in business. You know, big mm-hmm. shout out to you guys as well. So, what's next, Kim? Next up is one that I had just realized was this particular band, and this is Toto with Georgie Porgy. Mm. Nothing I wanna hold you. I never ever should have told you you're my own girl. Nothing I wanna hold you. I 
was written by David Page, a member of American rock band Toto, and their self-titled debut album in 1978. It was released as a single in 1979 and charted on the Billboard Hot 100, as well as on both the R&B and dance charts. Now, Toto is the same band that used to sing Africa, and I have to shout out Groove on Sirius XM because I was just riding down the street one day and they were just jamming with a whole bunch of blue-eyed soul. And I was, I heard Georgie Porgy, which I heard many times before. And I was like, wait a minute, who's seen this? Wait, Toto? Toto? <laughs> and Toto is, from what I remember, saying that song, Africa, with the lyric, I bless the rains down in Africa. So I should have known that they were going to do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could you could definitely tell the influence that African American culture had on this group, to say the least. And I think we made mention earlier how how certain songs. I think it was Michael McDonald, how his song translated into the hip hop culture. MC Light, you know, also had a hit with this with the very same name, George Georgie. Georgie. And yeah. she used George the Georgie. music from this. She mm-hmm. did right, right. So it, it to me, it pays, you know, if you're going to be a blue-eyed soul artist, you really got to put some time and effort into studying our music. And it, to me, it, once you do that, it, it, you have, it pays off. You know, a lot, a lot of these artists that we're talking about today have had some really, really good success, you know, not just only in the R&B community, but as well as, as pop as pop artists as well. You know, so, I mean, big, shout, big, shout, big shout to them as well as Cheryl Lynn because she's the female vocalist on the song. Do she sounded familiar? Yeah, you say Cheryl Lynn. Cheryl yeah. Lynn, yeah, encore Cheryl Lynn. Yes, yes. That's her, could that's be her real that, Cheryl Lynn. Yeah, doesn't that's it her, sound like her? That's Dang, her that sure is her. But I will say this, Marcus, because you may not be familiar. Check out their album four, the Roman numeral symbol. Total, mm-hmm. total. Oh my God, gotcha. that's one that had Rosanna, mm-hmm. Africa, waiting for your love. Won't hold you back. Those are. I like, forgot about uh, waiting for your love. That was oh my god, too. that's a that's a dance floor groove right there too. Yeah, yeah. But I won't hold you back. Oh my god, it's one of my favorite songs. Rosanna, my favorite part of the song is at the end when it goes into the the jazz, like the jam session. After they've done all the singing, they go into the nice little jazz play out. Check it out. You know, I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna check yeah. it out. That's all right. Solid, let's solid choice. Well, Whoever. Oh, thank you. Up. Thank you very much. Great job. Great job. What's next, Kim? All right, we're gonna go on to Bob Skaggs and JoJo. Look out behind you, JoJo's got me gone. He wouldn't mean to, but you know he likes his fun. 
Yes, indeed. I was looking at your faces. <laughs> oh, we don't. Tell you where you all were of that song. No, I was curious because I know Boss Gags, and usually in something like Blue Eyed Soul, they pick mm -hmm. that particular song for him, mm -hmm. but he picked something different. I appreciate that. The yeah. lowdown. You talking about the lowdown? The, the lowdown. Down. Thank that's, you. That's right <laughs> <laughs> well, JoJo is a song that's released from his 1980 album, Middleman, and it's basically a song about a pimp working on Broadway. If you listen to the lyrics, that's what I miss in songs these days. I love the storytelling. Story. Story. Yeah, the yeah, story. Yeah. And, it, and it just draws you in. Men and mink, you know, just read the lyrics. He must have been brought up in that because the lowdown was pretty much talking about just living on the streets too. Wasn't it now? Mm-hmm. But the, yeah. it's like, it, it, he draws you in with that first line, JoJo's got his gun. Mm -hmm. Look out behind you, JoJo's got his gun. Mm. Yeah. But this song itself reached number 17 on the Hot 100 chart. It peaked at number 29 on the, the Adult Contemporary chart. Number 17 on the Hot Soul Singles chart. This is all on Billboard. So he was a regular charter on the Billboard R&B chart. And this always takes me back to summer 80, 1980 would forever be like, you know, yeah, for obvious yeah. reasons. But it feeds into that whole soundtrack of that was a standout moment for me in, in my life. So 1980 will always be a special year for me, both good and the bad. But love, love this record. One of my favorites. Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking about. I mean, this this song particularly puts me in the same aspect as the Lowdown, which is a a uh, cult classic to say the least. Bobcats. I don't understand why they don't have. I don't haven't seen a, a excuse me a documentary on Bobcats. I would love to see because Kim made mention about like the song that he's making. Had he actually lived that life? Mm -hmm. you, you know, that you would know, be good. That would, that, you know, I would like to hear, you know, like more information from him to see exactly what type of life he lived that would kind of inspire him to make this type of music. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You yeah. want to, because it sounds like he lived that life for him, for him life. to be so soulful with it and for us to not even, because I believe, was he the one where they didn't put his picture on the album so people wouldn't even know? No, his picture's always on this on his album. But well, maybe it was the other guy. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway. <laughs> he had another record that I really like. You remember Lido? Lido? Oh, oh, oh. oh I know that. <laughs> Please don't make me sing it. <laughs> you know what to do, Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> you know what to do. <laughs> But what's next, Kim? <laughs> All right. So we are now going to transition into the woman of Blue Eyed Soul. Oh, and I first, you there. Okay. Huh? So first, you thank you very much. So we had so many women on here. I had to just do a whole segment for them. So first up is our girl Adele and hello. So
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> of course, that was a deal with Hello. Let me go through the uh, tidbits. From the album 25, released in 2015, debuted at number one on the Hot 100, stayed at number one for 10 weeks on the Hot 100, received three Grammy Awards for Record Song and Best Pop Solo Album of the Year, and it marked the first time in history that two different songs by the same name had won a Grammy. Hello, you might want to take a guess by who that was for. Lionel Richie. There you go. There you go. I've said it before on this podcast. If this is how we do it by Montel Jordan was the most prolific song in the 90s. I, I, I see you. We can have a discussion about this. <laughs> and, uh, if you want to. We, we, okay. we can debate this. Now, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> okay. Uh, wasn't the I'm most just saying, prolific. man. I'm just saying. Huh? Oh, no, go ahead. Keep going. Okay, okay. No, finish your thought, Marcus. Finish your thought. <laughs> that's, just, that's just me. This is just me talking. But anyway, <laughs> we can we can we can make a case for "Hello" by Adele, probably one of the biggest songs of 2015, which is the 2010s at least, possibly the 2000s. This song really was on the radio on all the radio waves. No matter, I mean, I, it might have been even on the country radio waves as well. Um, it definitely dominated the R&B and the pop charts, and again. Adele's range reigned supreme in this song. It really did. And um, what, what say you guys? I love Adele. I love Adele. I've loved her since she... Her first album. 19, which came in like a hurricane. One thing I like about, I love about Adele, she's always very humble. She seems very humble and, and modest with, with her presentation. You know what I mean? She, it's like, look at me, I can sing, I can belt, and I'm trying to do this. And, try, and she's being herself. You know, at the time, she was a little heavier, and she didn't care. That didn't stop her. Whoever handled her marketing and her styling always got it right, and she was always on point with that. And so I, I, she's always been a breath of fresh air to me. Well, as you said it, I loved Adele from the very beginning when her and Amy Winehouse kind of came out around the same time. And had such a soulful voice that everyone was just like, where are these these English women getting these voices from? But from her first album, I always loved Adele. And this is a pivotal song. And honestly, I kind of agree with Marcus for that particular year. No, let me finish what I'm saying. I'm sorry. For that particular year when Hello came out. That was the top song. Everybody and their mama. Oh, it dominated. It dominated. It dominated. It did. So, and you were absolutely right. You were talking about the UK artists. I Mm -hmm. think, first of all, it's ingrained in them because they embraced the soul music so early on and they they genuinely. You know what? When I was younger, I'm mad at myself because I just thought about Sting because I always loved Roxanne by Mm -hmm. Sting or The Police. If you love somebody. Oh, and oh my God, when he had um, Breakfast Marsalis was playing back up from it. But I'm mad because I completely forgot about him. But I always said to myself, the reason why people from the UK had more of a soulful voice is because they were closer to Africa. That wasn't just me. But you're, but I believe it's more so what you're saying, Brian, is because they embraced us. They, they had, and had no problem letting you know that, yeah. I got my music from these folk and um, I want you to come down here and gave you money. And not like here in America where they would kind of steal your stuff, not tell you and get all this money and not even try to, to, to pay you for 
your services. Right, right. And I also think that they're adaptable because, you know, look at Sheena Easton, who we didn't include mm -hmm. on the list, but she took Paul in line. Definitely when she started working with Babyface. And that's another one we forgot yeah. about. I wanted to choose her, but I thought we just had her on one of our other episodes. We did. There was, other, there was other artists I wanted to shed spotlight on as far as my list is concerned, but she was on my, on my, in my mind. But I put her up there with, you know, Lisa Stansfield, Adele, Amy Winehouse. Those are the, like my four, my, my four solid English women that I would go to any day at the end of the venue or all my money. Mm -hmm. yeah. Definitely. Before we go any further, I, I just want to say this. A heavyweight championship round last for three minutes. I think we need to take three minutes and Byron, me and you, we're going to talk about this thing, man. All right. We're we going to talk. Uh, sit, camp, sit the time for three minutes. All right. We're we, we going Lord. at it for three minutes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, okay. All right. Yeah. And go. Look, all right, Barry. So you mean to tell me, okay, would you agree with me that, all right, one of the biggest songs of the 80s, to me, in my opinion, is Billie oh. Jean by Michael Jackson. Of the 80s? Oh, yeah. yeah. Of the 80s. Would you agree with me on that? One of the most it, important songs of the 80s. Because of its success, that whole album being the best selling I'm not album talking about ever, the album. Talking about it, helps oh. it make it, helps it make it a big song. But I wouldn't say it's like the biggest song of the, big, the biggest song of the 80s. I don't know. That's, Thriller was the biggest song of the 80s. Either one, either one. Okay. Either his one. era, his Thriller era eclipsed the 80s, I think, Michael Jackson, yeah. period. Okay. There's, Tell me without a shadow of a doubt, when you think about the 90s and dance music, hip hop music, it, you want to think about Montel George, this is how we do it. I, he comes to mind as far as a contributor, but I wouldn't say that solidifies the entire decade. Hell no. Uh, I agree with, with Byron. Hell no. He, he's, a part, okay. he's a part of the conversation, but That's he's a, not the pivotal. <laughs> no. Listen to me. I'm not talking about the artist. I'm talking about the song. No, I'm talking, I'm talking about, about the song. I'm talking about the song, too. You do not, y'all don't, don't believe. When I think of it in the 90s, that's not the first song I think of, no. What was the first song that you think of, sir? Exactly, exactly. No, you can't no, tell. no, 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 mm -mm. no. No, you, you don't want to know why? Because they were so many. So the many 90s songs. can't be summed up with just one song. I'll say it that way. And then you want to think about the genres. I mean, someone might say the Spice Girls, Wannabe might be the one that sums up the deck. We were laughing at too, even though <laughs> I, like, I like that too. But um, no, I mean, there's just so many. I mean, Janet Jackson, yeah, mm. that was a big record. We could go on. Even Michael Jackson had huge records in the 90s. So, no. Uh, Remember the time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, no, um, this is how you do it. It was not a representative of the 90s. No. It's a huge party starter, but there are <laughs> other records that challenge that. Okay. So, you say, okay, my, my question was, was that do you feel like this is how we do it by Montel Jordan was probably one of the most influential hits of the 90s? You say no. Influence what? What did it influence? I mean, just one of the most influential when people think about 90s music, you really don't think they think about Montel Jordan. This is how we do it. Mm -mm. As one of them, as one of the songs, yes. But it's not the, the, the Maybe, maybe as far as the vibe that it created, but as far as what, did it, what else did it influence? It didn't influence anything. I mean, I'm not saying it influenced anything, but it was it was probably success wise, you know. And and as far as like it was a big record that popularity, year, you know, it was a big record that year. I mean, it had some success on the charts that year. But I mean, other years there were records that were much bigger that had a little bit more staying power. Is this a go-to? Yes, you hear it on every everybody's DJ mix show that's playing hip hop or R&B or whatever. This is always thrown in there, and we got to hear it all the time. And it was a big. I was in college at the time, so you know it was a party starter, but it wasn't. I mean, here comes Hot Stepper. 
Ah, Nick Moses. Ah, that's another oh, big one too. Oh, oh. oh you know, he, he that, goes, that. that goes hand in hand. <laughs> it goes hand in hand. You know what I mean? How, okay. how it depends on how you look at it. Because Hot Stepper, that was a big popular record that is still played overplayed to this day. Yeah. You know, all this just sets up a, a, a whole nother episode, you know, our favorite Nandy songs, you know, at some point mm -hmm. during, during this, uh, this journey. Nevertheless, I won the battle, to say the least. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I don't want you, what you wearing, some net on your shirt and your sweater? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Point not made. <laughs> <laughs> What's next, Kim? Since I mentioned her like a couple of minutes ago after before this whole conversation, my girl, Amy Whitehouse, mm. me and Mr. Jones. Mm. Me and Mr. Jones was sung by my girl, Amy Winehouse, released in 2006 by Island Records, and it's the third song from her second and final studio album, Back to Black. And sadly, she died of alcohol poisoning July 23rd, 2011, at the age of 27. May she rest in peace, because that was my girl. Now, um, Byron, yeah. I noticed something. Mm -hmm. You took out my favorite part. I did. What kind of friggery? Is this? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, because yeah, I, I started to have that on there, but it would have had to be edited in a way. So I was like, mm, I, yeah. So, but that's what's why, that's why funny I about it where, that? Yeah. But there, there's a whole story behind that. The original title of this song was supposed to be "Friggery," and y'all know what I really mean. Mm -hmm. So that was supposed to be actually the original name of the song. Fuckery. Funkery. 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 That's what we said. F-U-N-K. F-U-N-K-E-R-Y. That's not what she said. So what happened, Amy kept going to the studio and she called the song Funkery and people on the label and the manager would say, well, never get it played on the radio. So they had to change it to me and Mr. Jones. So, but a whole what? nother, yes. How you go well, for Funkery? Excuse me. How you go for Funkery to, to me and Mr. Jones? Well, she mentions him, mentions Mr. Jones in the, as, as part of the hook, I think. And that's probably how they tied yeah, it. Yeah, just part of the hook. So you have to really listen to it. To and it's funny, that this wasn't even, not, wasn't even a single that was released, though. It's like, uh, they could have just left it as that. I mean, they could have really left yeah. it because they didn't really release it, even though this is the most soulful freaking song on the album. Oh, my gosh. You have to listen to this whole album. That whole album would tear the roof out of your mouth. But this isn't even the biggest news from this. Me and Mr. Jones rotates around White House's relationship 
with Nasir Jones, also known as Nas. White House once revealed that this song was one of her favorites to perform live. And in October 2011, after her death, Nas opened up about the song with XSL Magazine and confirmed that it was indeed about him. That's interesting. So you're telling me Amy Winehouse and Nas were messing around? Yes, they were. And I can see that because, you know, wow. when she released Frank in 2003, she had a, like this natural edge about her. Mm-hmm. I love To me, that's my favorite album from her. Her debut was Frank. I love that because she used Nas's, she sampled his song. Oh, God, what's the name of it? But anyway, in the song, uh, In My Bed, she uses a Nas sample in that. So I could easily see how they would. And he did a remix. He did the remix for it. So that's probably when they linked up. No, have you heard this song before, Marcus? No, and not. Which is fine because you had to have the album. You had to have the album. Right, right. But still, though, to me, Amy Winehouse had was kind of like she she had this, like she could almost sing anything. Now I remember the song Rehab. Mm-hmm. It had like kind of like a reggae feel to it, and she and she she and she bodied it. In this one, it had a real soulful feel, and she and she bodied it. So to me, you know, I think a lot of time but, in it in Caribbean, huh? He spent a lot of time in the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. So to me, I think what Amy Winehouse's downfall was, was she's just too talented. I mean, to me, I mean, she's just, just too talented. I found it interesting when she did that huge pivot between the flavor that she presented on Frank to Back to Black, because Back to Black was like a, a throwback sound, you know, it had that. It, that, it was really that, a throwback Yeah, sound. you know, and I, I found that that was kind of interesting twist. But it worked. That album it worked, was it worked, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. He's a bar. But this is my question. As I said, stated before, Adele and Amy came out around the same time. They both had this very soulful type of sound to them. Now, do you feel that Amy would have had the same success as Adele had she not died? Of course. Yeah. 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 I would say so. Yeah, because she was already huge. She She was huge. She just had a lot of demons. You know things that she was battling outside of the music, which kept her in the in the, in the I guess the spotlight. Not necessarily for the music, but her music always spoke for itself. It's just uh, unfortunate because of those drug issues. She couldn't even come to the United States because she was banned. You all remember when she won her Grammy? Um, mm-hmm. How she had to be simulcasted from the UK. Mm-hmm. You know she performed, but from the UK. But yes, I I definitely think that she. Actually, at the time, she was more popular than Adele was. And I think, not to say that Adele is not talented, but I think part of the reason why Adele has blown up so much is because they're, because Amy's no longer around yeah. To, yeah. to compete with. And people and, long for that soulful edge sound. And yeah. they long for that soulful edge sound from someone like her. Yeah. <laughs> from someone from, from a blue-eyed person, right? Huh? Yeah. From a blue-eyed, from a blue-eyed person. What you're yeah. saying? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Oh, yeah, the boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but what's next, Kim? All right, continuing on with our woman of blue eyed soul is our girl, Tina Marie, who Marcus didn't realize was a white woman. <laughs> Tina Marie, if I, I were a bell. Easy to forget. Yeah. Tell the world that you are my everything. If I were a bell, 
I swear, every time Tina Marie released a project, she always stepped it up. Yes. And, and this was no exception. This was, can be found on her ninth album, Ivory, which was released in 1990. If I Were a Bell was the second single release behind the single, Here's Looking at You. And this song peaked at number eight on the R&B charts. It was, I think, primarily only released to the uh, R&B urban, urban market. Um, I never heard it on any pop station. I don't think I ever really heard any Tina Marie besides Lover Girl played on, on the pop station. But anyway, this was a, a solid welcome back for Tina Marie on, on her ninth album. What did you all think? Which solidifies the fact that, you know, it wasn't that I forgot, that t- didn't know that Tina Marie was black. You know, I just just forget, you know, you never <laughs> consider her, you know, as, as a white. Exactly. Yeah, she still has some bangers uh, up until the, till she died. So, I mean, like, she was just a rare talent. And this is just one of the many songs that could have made, you know, this uh, this episode. I mean, this was, I guess, like, probably one of her third strings, but it was still a hit. You know, it said, what's it, it uh, hit number nine on the chart in um, Hot 100 on the charts? Mm-hmm. Hit the number nine? Uh, number eight on the R&B, not, not Hot 100. So, hey, man, you know, big shout out to Tina Marie. Now, with Tina Marie... When I was living in Jersey, Square Buzz was the song. Every time I heard it, it remind me of coming into Atlanta to go to Griffin or to Blakely. Square Buzz was always a song that reminded me of y'all. Yeah. But my favorite of Tina Marie was actually Casanova Brown. Casanova Brown. Casanova Brown. You would never hear that unless it was during a quiet storm. Quiet storm, yeah. But that song, oh, she told that song up. Yeah. I wanted to include this song because we we tend to love to dig deep into those earlier songs, and this was a this this project here was solid to me, you know. And that was during a time when life, the world was opening up for me, you know, out of high school, and it just fed into that whole soundtrack of that vibe. So that's this why a, I love this one. Um, baby, I'm your fiend, or is this one of the late? Was that one of the later um, tracks? That was a later one. Okay, okay. Yeah, that wasn't on that. Okay. Yeah. What was that one? On? It might have been like 94, 95, somewhere, somewhere, that, somewhere in that area. But I remember her performing that song, Baby, I'm Your Fiend. It just it was real jazzy, a real jazzy tune um, to it. And the remarkable thing about Tina Marie, she was in it from the beginning. You know what I mean? She, she's not one of those artists that started out a certain kind of way and then they drifted over into the R&B realm or the soul realm. She came into that soulful funk era and just stayed there. I mean, that's that's her full identity. I mean, she's a true soul artist. And yeah. shout out to Rick James for bringing her, yeah. bringing her yeah. to us. Yes. Yeah. May they both rest in peace. May they both rest in peace. What's next, Kim? Our girl, Lisa Stanfield. Oh, yeah. And all women. Yes, I wish we could play the whole, the whole yes, song. I know. But I don't love you any less. I thought you always thought enough of me. 
No, no, you're you're you have every right to express <laughs> all of those feelings. This song takes you there. It, I mean, yeah. musically, visually, it just took you there. All Woman was recorded, of course, by British singer, songwriter, and actress Lisa Stansfield, and it was on her second album, Real Love, which was released in 1991. The single actually uh, debuted in December of 91 in the UK and was released in 1992. To the rest of the world so it was a spring hit for us you know that's how, that was our experience for it here in the united states it reached number one on the hot r&b and hip-hop songs chart number 21 on the adult contemporary billboard chart number 56 on the hot 100 and of course the numbers vary worldwide but she was definitely flowing in the upper echelon as far as the yeah. ranking yes you know, for a moment back in the early 90s, you know, every time Lisa Stansfield came up to bat, she knocked it out the park. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, think about it. This one, been around the world, uh, can't deny it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you the right time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those were like some real bangers, man. And this was no exception. I think this one might have been eh, kind of tied between this one and been around the world. Been mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. Might have been more successful than Dude, I know they played it a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> and the video was so touching. Did you, you all it was. I remember the video. Yeah. Yes. But this is a testament, though, to Black radio. Yes. That um, Black radio is not about just Black music. It's about that good, good, just like us. Thank you. If it's Thank good, they're going to play it. They don't care what you look like. If, you, if you're good, they're going to play it. All right. Right. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. What's next, Cam? Next up, Snow Allegra, a more recent one. I want you around. I don't want to kiss you. Yeah, I just want to feel you. Yes, yes, yes. 
That was real good. That was uh, Snow Allegra with I Want You Around from her 2017 album, Ugh, Those Feels Again, which reached number one on the adult R&B singles charts, produced by Grammy Award winner NES. And I mean, when you listen to this song, don't you just want to smile? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Does, does it just make you feel all tingly? I mean, just... <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. Marcus just, is all tingly. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not ashamed of it. But it just makes me feel like tingly, you know. <laughs> it's just a great, a great song that, that touches your soul, and it just, it's just, just happens to be made by a blue-eyed soul artist. I mean, Snow Allegra. She also there were links to her between her and Michael B. Jordan at one point in time. So I'm wondering if that might have been part of the, the inspiration to this song. Not sure. But however, I mean, this was a solid hit for Snow Allegra. Uh, she's still making music, by the way. Hey, big shout out to her. You know, I love her music and I love her voice. So this is where I I, I love Snow Allegra. Don't get me wrong. But I don't consider her a blue eyed soul. So the reason why, why? I don't why? Is that she's Cause... Persian. That's what I was about to say. Because ah. I kept looking at her. Right. And I was like, she don't really let me look this up. And it said that she was from Iran. So I was like, uh, uh. grew up in Sweden. She's considered Swedish because that's where she was raised. But her, her parents are Persian. They're from, from Iran. So I don't consider her blue eyes, though, because she's a woman of color. I still believe that she would be considered. Considered blue-eyed soul. I mean, from because the, from she's the, not technically one of us, but at the same time, she will have more soul than the average, you know. Yeah. Other person. Well, well, first of all, Byron, thank you for technically making me look like an ass on the on the whole internet. <laughs> no, because I was going to say something too. I was going to be like, I was looking her up, and I was like, she doesn't really look. You know, she just honestly, she kind of looked like a light skin. And I she mean, she's so Tina, she so Tina Marie. Be, just, no, she could, but the Tina Marie is white, but she could easily. But no, 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 Allegra could easily be mistaken as being Hispanic too. Exactly, that's what yeah. I was looking. I mean, initially I when thinking. I first heard her, I thought she was Hispanic. But then when I got more involved with her artistry, as far as knowing who she was and loving her music i was like oh she's actually persian based out of sweden you know that type of thing needless to say um uh she made my countdown she's staying and she ain't going nowhere all right so that being said <laughs> like, like what? i said it's yeah. all about the good good, good, good. There, there you good. go good. and snow allegra is no matter what she is there so you we've go. never we've never included her in our previous list have we it's i don't think we have. have and she said there's another song that she has that i really like so definitely all right, so what's next, Kim? Next up is relieving the woman of Bulato and going into Queen and David Bowie under pressure.
Now, now, hold on, Kim. Before you say anything, before you say anything, Byron, mm-hmm. did she like crushing people's feet? Now, tell Kim what you told me about this particular song because I had this song on my list. Yeah, Kim and I, we've had conversations about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I I don't consider David Boy or Queen uh, Blue Eyes Soul. I mean, they're they're rock artists that happen to have some bluesy type songs that have been released. But they don't identify on my girl as far as blue eyes. So I would never even put them in that category. But I appreciate everything that they've done. I mean, with Number One Bites of Dust, David Bowie working with Nile Rodgers. But in her, but same thing about it, you know, Another One Bites of Dust, you know, those were played on the uh, black stations, though, Bar. Yeah, it crossed over. Yeah, it, it, it was picked up, but that doesn't make them blue eyes. Oh. Now, hold that. Hold that. Since you brought it up, let's listen to Another One Bites the Dust real quick. Here mm-hmm. you go. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? Out of the doorway, the bullet rip to the side of the beast. Yeah. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. And another one gone. And another one gone. Another one bites the dust. Hey, we're gonna get to do another one bites the dust. Now, finish your discussion. There you go. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So the story behind that song, the label wanted, because of the whole disco craze and, you know, the post-disco era or whatever, they wanted something more like a, a beat track from them. And that's what they came up with. So that, to me, lends itself. Well, I guess you could, disco would be considered like soul music too, but it, it goes along that line. But that, song right there really is the only one by them that would straddle that line I think by Queen I, think, I feel that Another One Bites the Dust is more so soulful than Under Pressure even though yeah, I love I agree. Queen I agree. and David Bowie period Queen Bohemian Rhapsody was my shit but but that would be on yeah, the rock yeah. side that well, was on the you, rock you, side but as far as R&B or Blue Eyed Soul Another One Bites the Dust would be over Under Pressure Marcus, did you choose that because uh, Vanilla Ice sampling that song? Mm-hmm. Hell no! Because <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that, like, that Ice Ice yeah. Baby could be considered the most influential song in the, of the 90s. Oh, but. ew, ew! <laughs> I would never, man. I would never. But he, he, oh he, he checked it out. That was a good one. That's a good point, though. That's a great point, Byron. That's a great point. Oh, wow. Oh, I my know, gosh. I know a lot of people of the Caucasian persuasion will probably agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. But anyway, what we're talking about, David Bowie and um, mm-hmm. Under Pressure. Mm-hmm. I, I, the reason why I wanted to pick is because of David uh, Bowie. He was a little bit more influential with the hip-hop culture than necessarily Queen was. And that was the reason why I, w- I wanted to pick David, because of David Bowie's, uh, his influence. Hey, Bowie. Uh, <laughs> Bowie. Bowie, excuse me. Bowie, and Bowie. we talked about yeah. that earlier today about him going to MTV and and letting them know that they oh were yeah wrong talk for... about that we talked about that so mm-hmm. so well you, you did mention that earlier in the show about how people who are influenced by our music yeah. yeah I can see that and you know with David Bowie to give him credit you know I don't take anything away from either either act either one but he really found huge success when he partnered with Nile Rogers for the last day mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know and from what he was able to accomplish just doing that brought 
a whole lot of work for Nile Rodgers. I mean, Duran Duran, Madonna, you know, followed suit after that. You know, I think that was, I, I would say that dance, that's David Bowie's thriller. Let's dance, definitely. That, yeah. And it and it was sampled like, but we, I think we talked about this in the previous show. It was sampled like by like 50 different oh, hip hop artists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Several times, but two yeah. of them to, to, that I remember offhand, or is it three? It's a bunch of them. <laughs> but yeah, I consider them both indie rock more than soul. But these songs can find a home on a soul chart. How about that? Exactly. And keep in mind, Toto, who I mentioned earlier um, today, they were considered a rock band. Mm-hmm. And average white band, what kind of band? I, I think they were considered rock too. But it's just the music that they, I think back then, that's the only place that they could put them. And right. I, I think also when it comes to Blue Eyed Soul, I look at who's consistently putting out that type of flavor, not the one-off. You know, this will be like a one-off to me. But I look at people like Tina Marie, well, she was, well, she's a different. She was consistent. Yeah, <laughs> but Michael McDonald, Kenny Loggins, he's he, total. I mean, you listen to that music, it has a soulful sound to it. Some stations played it. Some, some R&B stations played it back in the day, you know, won't hold you back, like I said before. But anyway, that's just my thing. Mm. And Jewel didn't make our countdown this year. Who? Jewel. Jewel's not. No. No. Not Jewel. Um, She was folk. She was like folk. Yeah, Jewel was. There's one I'm thinking about. I think JoJo. Not JoJo. Not JoJo. She should have been on here, though. We might have to do a part two because there's a bunch of people I forgot about. Jewel, Jewel, you talking about Save Your Soul? (laughs) Uh, We'll we'll table that one. Okay. We'll table Jewel. And, And what's next, Kim? Um, another artist that we mentioned earlier today, but this is Wham with our boy George mm-hmm. Michael with Everything She Wants. is a song by British pop duo Wham, including George Michael, originally released as a single in 1984 on Epic Red Scrooge on a double A side with Last Christmas, which we're going to hear a lot of this month. (laughs) It was written and produced by George Michael, one half of the duo, and becoming their third consecutive million dollar selling number one hit in the United States. What say you? Mm. Can't go wrong with Wham. Can't go and, wrong and with honestly, I, of course, I could have picked Careless Whisper, but you know that, me, I like to do... That's the one I would have picked. That's the one I, I would have picked. I know, yeah. but this was my song. I used to love this song. Yeah, I would have chosen Kissing a Fool. Oh, Kissing a Fool. Or uh, Father, figure. Father Figure. Oh, my God. Father Figure. Father but that just, that just goes to show you that mm. George Michael used to put out some good music. And like we were talking about before, his music wasn't always like super soulful, but sometimes he would just get 
just the right song and you you had to hear it on R and B because it was just good. If that was the good good, he was just a good singer. And George, George Michael already had a soulful voice anyway. I mean, it, he did even with the more popular stuff that he would have that he did. It was still a soulful sound and heavy rotation on BET. I know that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. during that with his solo years. That's another artist that I, I definitely miss. Um, um, uh, may he rest in peace. Love you, yeah. George Michael. The that's anniversary of his death is coming up, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was, because it was like right after, it was it on Christmas? It was Christmas. Right after- I believe it was Christmas. Mm. Yes. Anyway, what's next, Kim? <laughs> next up, John V and Tupac. Are you still down? Can you recall how close we used to be then? Yes, first and foremost, thank you, Byron, for making sure you included Tupac's verse in this snippet. Appreciate that. That was John B., Are You Still Down? From probably one of the most underrated R&B albums of all time, the 1997 Cool Relax album by John B., which featured this song, which had the final verse by Tupac Shakur that he recorded. This song actually did very, very well. It peaked at number 29 on the Hot 100, number two on the R&B charts, certified platinum. But, Byron, I wanted to ask you a question. It also said that it was commissioned as a double single with They Don't Know. What does that mean? It's a, a double A-side single. Does it mean they were released at the same time? Yeah, at the same time, yeah. Okay, so, like, in a situation like that, would they only get paid uh, for no, no, just... No, no, no. Uh, a lot of artists used to do that back in the day. It was just it just happened to be, like, a, an issue, a 12-inch, just say, for instance, pictures of a 12-inch single being issued, side A has this song side b has another song and they just happen to be major singles that were released at the same time just like this christmas and right. the song i just played right mm-hmm. okay 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 Rather than I... rolling out two separate campaigns it was, they were all presented at the same time and gotcha you gotcha know, they may not gotcha. have been released on the same date as far as as far as uh what was sent to radio to be played so to speak if you know what i mean yeah uh, gotcha. push as a single they were offered at the same time. Right, right. Okay, so thank you for clarifying that because I, uh, the reason why I asked was because, you know, of course, They Don't Know was also uh, a huge banger uh, back in 97 as well. And just getting back to John B., you know, it's kind of like how we feel. We feel the same thing about John B. the way we feel about Tina Marie. We don't consider them blue-eyed soul. We just consider them straight R&B soul. Regardless of how they may look or whatever, he just has that silky voice that we just consider R&B. Can I say that? Oh, go ahead. So when when he first came out, the very first single was with Babyface. I swear it was so hard for me to determine who oh, was singing. Babyface and who was John yeah. B. Right. Mm-hmm. So so someone to love. 
Right. So from that yeah. point on, I, I guess I never, I mean, he has some catchy jumpy, he has some catchy songs, but I just saw him as, I hate to say this, as, as a white guy that's just saying soulful music. I never, I don't know, it just really, there's a couple artists we can we can go there that that just can fall in that category even though john b has stayed true to it from the start and not gone over to other general genres um i don't know it just i just never really i mean i mean call me stupid or crazy byron but isn't it what what this whole episode is about white people that can sing so <laughs> no 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 no, no. that's a difference that's a difference blue eyed soul is a, it's an embodiment of, of a vibe it's now it's different from uh, someone of a different persuasion singing, singing that type of genre. That's the feel that I get from him and, and one other artist that somebody had on their list that we'll get into in a, in a moment too. But because um, I was about to bring up the one that you're about to talk about, because yeah. I'm about to play two of two two yeah. of the last people that we're going to talk about, and I was going to discuss how why didn't John B become as successful as say the Robin Fix or the Justin Timberlake. I hate to say it like this. I wouldn't put John B in the same basket with Justin Timberlake because John B has been true to R and B. Right, Justin Timberlake started as a pop artist. Yes. And, and Justin, Justin Timberlake has basically written the coattails of R and B. Right. Because, to me he is a white artist that sings R and B. I don't I consider him an R and B artist. But we'll get there. We're, 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 we'll have a conversation about that. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When are we going to talk about it, Kim? We're going to talk about it right now. Justin Timberlake, rock your body. <laughs> I don't need no heart. Just want to rock your girl. You can move, but be calm. Let's go. Let's give it a whirl. See, it appears to me. You like the way I move. I tell you what I'm going to do. is sung by my boy Justin Timberlake from his debut studio album Justified after he left NSYNC. The Neptunes consisting of Chad Hugo and our boy Pharrell Williams wrote and produced the song and his whole album was pretty much produced by Timberlake. Now I know we have our issues with Justin Timberlake however that Justified album was Justified. That was a good ass album. Now, because of the producers, because I mean, honestly, that's true. That's true. And I will say, I think Justin realized once NSYNC had released that song. What was it? Gone. 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 Once they released that song, and R and B stations were playing it, and we were vibing to it, they're like, "Wait a minute, maybe this is a way to go." And that's why he transitioned to getting producers that he did and that's what made that particular album a success okay what's saying kim kim i'm gonna say this I, I love you with all my heart god knows i do all right 
But there are certain situations where we just ain't gonna agree. All right, this is one of those situations. Of course, that is okay. I will never say anything positive about Justin Timber fake, and and, and, and that's how you pronounce it, Byron. <laughs> you know that's how I presented it. That's, how, that's, that's the name I give him, and I don't rock with Justin Timber fake. And yeah. go ahead, Marcus. And yeah, I, I, you hear my spiel. So check it out. Byron said it best. I think he rolled the coattails of R and B. There's nothing authentically R and B about this man. All right. And even though this, this song is justified has success, it's still Justin Timberfake. I mean he'd go fornicate himself. I mean that's just how I feel. Oh, about okay. It. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Fine. He's, he's hitting behind strong producers and taking credit for it. And you've never seen this is outside of music where I'm going now. You've never seen him take a stand for black causes or anything. No, you know, it, he he just shows up when it's time for his album and he has Timberland behind him, he has Pharrell, or, you know, those are the primary people that he's relied on that gave him that success. That Just File album was a banger, you know. I was into it, and this particular song, I just cannot rock with, period, because this is the actual song that they were performing at the Super Bowl. Yeah, and that just to the stupid lyric of a song when he rips the thing off that caused all the controversy. I'm like, go sit down. Of course. I will never forget the fact that the media crucified her and yeah. he's the one who actually did the action to, and it, to, and, to cause it and, 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 and did didn't and, and nothing happened to him. <laughs> right, so, yeah. But I will stand by the fact that this was a banger as um, album. Because of the producers. I right. still love Evan True. I still love right. to stay because of the producers, yes. And he can sing. I will say that. No more time for you, Justin Timberfake. Let's move on. <laughs> What's next, Kim? All right. This is the last one. And this is another one, Robin Thicke. Mm-hmm. And the rest of my life. I sang in your ear because I wanted you to know that I had so baby. You all the time. I guess I tried too hard to make you mine. You'd have nothing to do with me, baby. Thank God that you changed your mind. For the rest of my life, you know I'm gonna be yours. For the rest of my life, you know I wanna be yours. For the rest of my Yeah, I I have to put Robin Thicke in his own category because one thing I really appreciate about him is he didn't ride on the coattails of his father. He did, uh, which um, he clearly said it. But his first album was not as R&B-ish, but you could still hear the soul in him mm-hmm. in his very first album. Yeah, he, and it, it, it was a weird rollout for him. I think it was Andre Harrell that discovered him, correct? Not mistaken. I believe so. But uh, let me talk about the song, though, before we get into that. For the Rest of My Life is, of course, a song by Robin Thicke, R&B singer from his sixth studio album, Blurred Lines. Everybody knows that was a huge record, period, uh, single or whatever. 
But this was the uh, second single release from that album. And it fared fairly well. It hit number 25 on the U.S. R&B chart. It was number five on the R&B hip-hop airplay chart. And number 42 on the actual R&B hip-hop song chart on Billboard. So fairly good reception for the song. It's heavy rotation definitely on R&B. You hear it all the time still to this day. But I was going to say with, I'm sorry, Kim. I was going to say with Robert Dick. He's, he's remained true to the form, starting out as a songwriter first and then coming in to his own artistry and just never wavered from it. You know, he's kind of stayed in it. So I would, I would consider him actual blue eyed. So he embodies it. He's not just a white man that sings R&B music. He, I, but I, I, as far as John B. and Robin Thick, I think they're in the same vein, though. Yeah, I can see that. I could see, because John B. has remained in the vein of R&B. I guess I just never really connected with John B.'s vocal ability. He's never really stood out. I mean, he's had like good songs, but he's never really stood out as someone I would go, oh, that's, that's a soul singer, you know? He just happens to kind of sing in that vein. Um, and we could contribute that to the producers. He's just who you hang around, you know, you embody or whatever. But it I don't know if it comes across as a genuine to me, but he's remained in the vein. He didn't waver like other artists have wavered. But Robin Dick, on the other hand, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Robin Dick kind of created his own, created his own lane. Mm-hmm. You know, to say the least, he just he bodied R and B and just kind of stayed in his own lane. He didn't really waver. He just kind of like held it in the road for the most part, for lack of better words. And I think he had great success. Doing that, you know, there's. I'm pretty sure there were times he could have crossed. He could have. He could have went to the left and went popish, or possibly went to the right and went rock and roll, and which was kind of his dad's forte or whatnot. But he stayed, stayed in his own lane. and kind of stuck with R&B. So you know, hey, gotta love Robin Thicke. I think Blurt Lines is probably his most poppy sounding song. Yeah, yeah. I think it just crossed over into pop because it, it was it was just a fly song. It was just really. To me, this sound too poppy to me. It really didn't. I know I mean, it was more. I think it was more hip hop and R and B, but it was so popular that it crossed over to pop. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, is that it, kid? That's it. Hey, well, again, we want to thank everybody for listening. This was another exciting episode. Uh, we got the Good Good Experience podcast. Had a blast, y'all. What about you? I loved it. I enjoyed it. Are we going to do a part two? Because, like we, we said, we have to. We have to. So I, 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 I forgot artists. about a couple of people. Yeah, there's so many artists that we have not featured. You know, we need to. Absolutely, absolutely. And possibly one of those artists uh, we lost this week, Christine McVie, mm-hmm. uh, the Fleet. Oh, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Fleetwood Mac was another uh, one. Yeah. Another band that I used to love. And Irene Cara. Yeah. And What's Irene Cara. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say rest in peace to Christine McVie. Uh, keep it locked right here. We've got episodes coming out. We've got the Christmas episode coming up. We've got the end of the year episode coming up. And just all the best and, you know, what's good, good, and all the music. For myself, Marcus, and Kim, and Byron, I want to say, hey, till next time, take care. Okay? Stay good, good people.